We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, skiing and mall stores. Nervous to the pit of your stomach for like days up until this point. So like walking up more often than not got jelly legs and like trying to visualize your line, but also trying not to puke at the same time. If I may make a mistake here, I could end up falling off a 50 meter cliff. So I need to make sure that I am on top of my skiing here and very solid. I think having some really, really gnarly, really big crashes um, definitely makes you reevaluate. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest is one of the best skiers in the world. This is free skiing world champion, Jess Hodder. Like, how is free ride skiing different than the stuff that most people would do? Like, they go to the resort. The funny thing about that is that free ride skiing is that. Like, it doesn't have any boundaries. Like, free ride skiing is skiing with your mates. Free ride skiing is skiing with your parents. Free ride skiing is skiing and competitively. But it's it's all free ride. Now, how did you get into that? Like, how did you start the competition aspect of it? I used to like do racing as a kid and kind of didn't really fit into that. Like, um, didn't really, you know, like it was quite, you know, families with a lot of money. We're from a smaller town, different vibes here. Um, and also, yeah, I just wasn't like a big fan of like the culture that was behind like the racing as much. And so I just went out skiing with my mates. I stopped racing and just went out skiing and, but I'm still a really competitive person. So I found a way to make what I was doing competitive by going and competing. Is is it viewed differently in the skiing competitive world? Is it kind of viewed as like these are the best of the best or is it like, oh, these people? If you're in the like ski competitive world and we're talking like the park guys and the races and stuff, we're kind of like the the hippy-dippy brothers that smoke weed and like, go out skiing and like have fun with our mates. But um, it's not it's not like that. It's uh, – I mean, there are people out there that focus their whole their whole lives on on free ride as well. It's not just it's not just like going out skiing with your mates, but it is. It's a weird it's a weird thing where you're always trying to push yourself, and it helps to be skiing with your mates and pushing yourself. But but yeah, I think other people view us as like, oh yeah, that's what you do after like you retire from like park or you know. But I think there's a lot more. I think there's a lot more creativity to be had in free ride because it's not all about throwing the most hectic spin you can. It's about style. It's about being able to actually ski really well. It's about like combining free ride, uh, combining like freestyle and Alpine and putting it all together on a gnarly face. So if you just, you they, they, like, a, how does the competition work? 
usually visual inspection. So in, on the Freeride World Tour, it's visual inspection only. So you don't get to ski the face before you do it, before you compete on it. So you, they have a whole day where you sit at the bottom of the face looking at it with binoculars and you are choosing your line and basically just trying to visualize yourself actually skiing that line. And then on the day, you hike up to the top of the face and you get told when to go and you go. Oh, you got to walk up there? More often than not, yeah. Like how far are we usually talking? That seems like a lot of work. <laughs> I walk really slow so that I don't, so that I'm warmed up, but I'm not tired. I don't want to make my legs sore or tire them out. So I walk super slow and I think my longest was maybe an hour and a half, maybe, to the top. Maybe this is just me not being familiar with it, but is that intimidating in the sense that I'm going to ski this mountain that I've never skied before? I've only kind of looked at from the bottom of it, and I got to get down this thing. Oh, you've you've been like nervous, so like nervous to the pit of your stomach for like days up until this point. So like walking up more often than not got jelly legs and like trying to visualize your line, but also trying not to puke at the same time. I would imagine though, but when you visualize the line on it, right? Is it usually what you thought it would be, or as you're going down, you're like, oh, that's not what I thought that was going to be like more often than not you're just like yeah you're making decisions on the fly so you've got to really make sure you've done a really really good inspection so that you hopefully don't end up with too many of those situations where you're like holy crap this looks different but I've definitely been in that situation where something has looked incredibly different skiing it than it has looked at looked like from the bottom because you can't and some of the like in those qualifiers that I don't know whether they're doing it now, but they weren't doing drone photos. They'll give you photos of the face, but they wouldn't do like on top of drone photos. So you might see something from the bottom and it looks like a cliff, but from the top, there might be a wall on the other side of that. And you think you can take off it, but you can't. So when you ski it, like, are there times that you might stop? Oh. Because like, oh, you get there and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I can't go that way. I thought I could, but now I can't. No, so usually usually you want that run to be as fluid as possible, so you don't want to be stopping. So hopefully your inspection has been really, really top, like top notch, and you are not you're not coming across anything that you're freaked out by or anything that like stops you in your tracks. But you know, when I was learning to do visual inspection in my first competition, I ended up like on top of this this lump that I was like, I don't know where I am I think I've taken the wrong entrance into whatever I was trying to hit and I made the decision to stop and ski off to the side of it and I'm really glad I did because if I had like sent it off the end of this like this little ridge that I was on top of I probably would have gone 30 foot to like dead flat and it would have probably I probably would have kneed myself in the face really hard at a bare minimum could have ended up a lot worse so it's like you have to make these decisions on the fly and hope that you're making the right decision. So if you're not sure about something, generally you're like, ah, maybe I won't send myself off that because it could end real badly. If you were to put a percentage on it in terms of like, okay, what percentage of times does this run that I go on work out exactly like I thought it was going to be? What percentage of times like, oh, wow, this is nothing like I thought it was going to be? For me, exactly how I thought it was going to maybe 50%. The rest you're like, oh, that's different. Oh, oh, I need to air a little bit, you know, like, oh, I need to like pre-ollie this more than I thought. Well, there's always something that comes up where you're just doing it on the fly or you're like, oh, there's heavy debris. Ah, you know, you're just figuring it out. 
So then are there in the competition, right? Are there some people that like, they're a great skier, but they can't evaluate the run for anything. You definitely need to be good at both. You need to be good at thinking on the fly and you could be an amazing, amazing skier, but unless you have the, like the trust in yourself to be like, no, I know that this is safe. I know that I have like done a good inspection and that this, this goes, that doesn't go, you know, like if something goes wrong, you can like make up a, make up a decision on the fly to do something else. Cause if you've done a good enough inspection, if you miss something, like if you, if you land something, you're going too quickly and you blow by another feature, you have to be able to put something else together. And that is part of it as well. Like you need to be able to make those decisions on the fly. That's really important. Will you ever have skiers that maybe are professional skiers in other disciplines and then they try to come over and they're like, oh, I can't do that. Oh yeah. There's, there's actually like a bit of a running joke within the, um, park community and I'm pretty sure a few people have said this are like oh free ride it doesn't look that hard it looks pretty easy I'll just go on the free ride tour and I'll go and go and like excuse my language but I'll go and fuck shit up and I'm going to go and do amazingly and crush it and then a lot of those athletes get out there and then they're like oh (laughs) just kidding this is really hard so a lot you know some people think that it's super easy, you know, you're looking at somebody ski that face, but what, you know, what you forget is like that person skiing it for the first time. They've only looked at it through some binoculars. There's changing snow conditions. It's not, you know, it's all different variables, all changing all the time. And the snow can change from like, from like one meter over there to one meter over there can be completely different. So that's all things that you have to be able to manage as a skier and a more well-rounded skier, somebody who say, doesn't just ride a certain type of skiing is going to do better because they can deal with all of those different changing variables. And that's why people who ski park, but also ski out around in the resort will do really good in free ride because they have the tricks and they're really solid on their tricks, but they can also ski really well. So hold your feet to the fire. Would you say that this type of skier is the best skier? I would say yes, that they're the best all-round skiers, because you could throw a face, you could throw any face at a freeride skier, and they'd figure out how to get down it. Whereas somebody who purely skis park, there are a lot of park skiers who actually are not very like solid technical skiers, and racers who also don't spend a lot of time like jumping off stuff. So it's like the it's like an amalgamation of like all of those things. Everything comes together, right? That's yeah. kind of the the whole thing. So when you look at kind of the mountains that you guys are skiing, are these generally pretty dangerous mountains to ski? Like are these hard mountains to ski or like, no, nah, you know, that's not that difficult. If I was not – there are some of those faces that if I was compete, not competing on them, I could quite happily ski down them. Like for myself, I could find a safe way down them very easily. Um that I wouldn't be scared. But because you're putting in a competition setting and there is a requirement to jump off things, that's when things get difficult and scary and pretty hard. But like the Bector Ross, that is <laughs> the final space for the Freeride World Tour, is a scary face to stand up the top of. It's not a face that you stand up there and just go, oh, I could just easily get down this. It's like, okay, if I make a mistake, even just skiing down it on an you know, everyday skiing with your mates, if I may make a mistake here, I could end up falling off a 50 meter cliff. So I need to make sure that I am on top of my skiing here and very solid. Now, now does this kind of translate into other areas? 
a lot of free ride, yeah, it definitely does for sure. A lot of free ride athletes, um, you know, as they, as they kind of transition out of competing, there are a lot of athletes that then go towards more like mountaineering, ski mountaineering and doing like first ascents and things like that. So like it's definitely like having those skills to get down those faces is incredibly important because some of the faces that mountaineers are skiing are pretty messed up, <laughs> you know, like very, very scary stuff. And they're managing like ice falls and rock falls and avalanche conditions and all kinds of stuff. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yeah. What is the last time you fell getting off of a ski lift? Probably when I was on a snowboard, to be honest. Um, I think the closest I've come to messing up getting off the lift, though, in the last kind of five years or so, I fell asleep on the chairlift at work when I was ski patrolling at Treble Khan. I don't know if I should be admitting this, but, um, yeah, I put my head down and had the bar down and fell asleep. And I woke up when my feet hit the ground at the, you know, at the top. And, um, so I had to like panic, panic, get the bar off, get the, get the bar up and then like jumped off while it was in the air, just about to go around the ball wheel. But, you know, no, as a ski patroller, you get jugged, you get essentially O bears if you do stupid stuff at work. So that would have got me judged. So I jumped off the lift and was fine, but it was pretty close. Did anybody see it? Only the lifty. Thank God. What's your favorite place to ski? It depends on the snow conditions and what I am looking for, but spring skiing, 100% Ruapehu, like where I grew up is the best. I can't show you right now because the curtain's there, but behind me is the mountain and um, they have the best spring skiing I've ever had. Um, Treble Cone is like in New Zealand is incredible for like all round good New Zealand skiing like powder it's got some gnarly stuff it's got fun stuff it's really really cool um and overseas i think for just general gnarliness where you get off the lift and it's just like insane terrain is verbier in uh switzerland so that was that was pretty mind-blowing going there and being like my first run of the season i have to go above a no fall zone (laughs) so it was my friend was taking me along traverse and a traverse and she's like you can't fall here. If you fall, you die. I was like, oh, great, cool. Yeah, I'm really ready for this. Um, and I think for Powder Canada in general is pretty sick. What's the holy grail of this? Like what's the thing that everybody's kind of like, oh, I want to do that. That's 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 the thing. Oh, Alaska. <laughs> I think. There was no hesitation about that, right? Yeah, no, I think everybody wants to ski Alaska lines at some stage. Because, you know, you see it in the ski movies. Those guys are skiing the most incredible faces. And, yeah, I think I think that's everybody kind of, everybody like, well, there's a little bit of you wants to go to Alaska and ski big lines in Alaska. Is that just because of, like, the quality of the snow? It hasn't been done before? They're just that steeper and deeper? Or, like, what is it about it? I think it's the quality of the snow and the faces. So there's a lot of spines there. They're things that don't usually, they don't always set up in different areas in the world. You know, it's something that like Alaska is known for is their spine skiing. And that's what everybody like aspires to, to be able to do that. Cause they need a certain amount of snow for that to happen. The spine, what's the spine? Spines are essentially like, how do I describe them? If you look at a mountain face, it kind of looks like curtains. Kind of looks like curtains. 
Yeah. You like you look at a crazy, it's a crazy steep face, and the snow like sloughs down by itself. It's usually quite steep, and the snow will like if it, you know, the snow will like kind of self-manage itself a lot of the time. I mean, it will avalanche at times as well, but like it's quite steep. It looks like curtains, and it's just like the most incredible skiing. Like powder, steep, sunshine, big wide open, like big, big faces. It's just what people dream of. Now, why is the snow condition so important? Um, the snow, the snow is super important, especially up on those up on those really steep faces. Because if you got up there and you came across just sheet ice and you're on a face like that, good luck staying up there. You're going to be sliding to the bottom really, really quickly, and it's not going to be good. Those faces are like, I can't even think how many hundreds of meters. It'd be like like 1500 2000 foot faces maybe more i don't really that would would that be about right yeah easily easily like some of those faces are like 500 meters vert easily and imagine if you fell at the top you would slide slash tomahawk slash tumble all the way to the bottom and you'd be really messed up so the snow conditions are super important so that it doesn't happen powder is better why powder um it actually slows you down quite a lot like powder is slower to ski through than like skiing on sheet ice so and you can control your turns you're able to make make proper turns you're able to slow down and bleed speed um you have control you have more control essentially what is your favorite skiing lingo what is your least favorite skiing lingo oh i do like hucking your meat or chucking your carcass those are pretty good Chucking your carcass is good, especially with the accent. You know, if you're talking about somebody and they're like, man, they freaking hucked their meat today. That means they just like sent it off everything and just chucked themselves off stuff, which is pretty, pretty funny. Like it very, it, it can also like bring, bring like the mental image of somebody just chucking themselves off something, not really giving a crap about the landing and just maybe just blowing up and sometimes riding out, but more often than not, not really skiing out of it. Um, so is it a is it a compliment or an insult, or a little bit of both? It's kind of somewhere in between, yeah. It depends on the it depends on the outcome, I guess. Yeah, or huck and pray. Huck and pray is pretty good. Like it's yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, and I do a lot of that. So, what would you say is kind of your general style? Like, do you feel like you're more cautious than other people? Or are you kind of like I'm just gonna go for it and see what happens? <laughs> it depends on the day. Some days you're really like feeling it, and you're like. I'm just going to freaking go for it, see what happens. And just, you just send it. But then there are other times when you're just like feeling incredibly cautious or not super solid on your skis or yeah, there's like times when you're just not quite feeling it as much. And that's when you're way more cautious. But I think it, I think a lot of it's like the vibe that you have with your group, like the group that you're skiing with. Um, one of my best, like one of my most like memorable progression sessions where I've like felt like I learned a lot all in the space of a couple of hours was when I was up at the summit of Treble Cone and the, um, and it was like a fresh power morning. We had exclusive access to the summit before everybody else. And we were filming and I watched, uh, Zoe, I don't know if you know, uh, Zoe Sadowski. She's a really, really, she's like at the top of female snowboarding right now. She's an absolute badass Kiwi girl. Um, she chucked a backflip off one of the off one of the rocks and I was like, Is today the day I try? And I was like, screw it, I'm gonna do it. And I did it, landed it, and was like, 
fuck yeah. All right, let's go again. And went off the bigger one. There was like a bigger diving board. And I was like, I'm just going to freaking go for it. Yeah, let's do it. And yeah, landed my backflip off there first time. And I was like, this, okay, this is sick. Like, and it's all about the vibe and like the people cheering you on and the hype, I feel like is a huge, huge part of it. Is it a thing though where like that can bite you in the ass? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, I I got hyped up by a, like one of the um one of the friends up the mountain at Cardi's this season, and right at the end of the season, I was kind of having a more chill day, and I was like, oh, it's softening up nicely, but I don't know if I'm feeling trying the cork seven again today, because I've been trying to learn cork sevens this season, and um. I, my first attempt, I hit my head really hard. And then my second attempts, I had a really good day. And then this would have been like the third day trying. And I was like, no, I think I'm just going to chill. And then Buddy came up and was like, oh, you're going to try Cork 7? It's so good today. You should definitely do it. And I was like, no, no, I'm just chilling. And then I got on the chairlift and was like hyping myself up. and was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to try it again. And then I uh, tore I tore the grade two, tore the ligament, uh, tore the MCL on my knee and uh, grade one PCL and tibial plateau bone bruising. So sometimes you get that hype up and sometimes it doesn't pay off. Can you pinpoint the difference? Like why today do I feel good and I'm skiing good and then why tomorrow am I just like, it's just not, it's just not there for me. A lot of it's conditions for me. Um, it's like having, yeah, and in New Zealand especially, there's only a select number of days. You're not going to get a pow day every day. And a pow day is when you, like, try stuff and you don't try and push yourself and you learn new things. But, you know, we don't get that every day. So when we do get those powder days, a lot of the time we're really, really hyped up in New Zealand. We're like, yo, let's do it. Um, but, in, you know, and then there's those days when it's not as good or you haven't gone up with the intention of trying something because it is, like, quite a lot of pressure to put you, to put that on yourself, to be like, I'm going to try something today that really scares me. So like when you haven't mentally prepared for that, sometimes it's not, you know, it's not worth doing it. When I was going up with the Cork 7, I was, I was planning that like a, two days in advance. How do you know the difference between like, okay, maybe I need to push myself a little bit. Like I need to push myself. I need to get out of the comfort zone versus like, oh, I'm not ready for this. Like I shouldn't do this. That is the golden question right there. <laughs> it's um, preparation. It's sometimes you don't know, and sometimes you do know, and and that's when you like get help from other people. When you're like, okay, you've seen me trying to do, let's say, my cork sevens this season. They're like, okay, you've seen me doing my cork sevens on the trampoline. What do you think? And some people will be like, yep, you've 100 percent got it. You should just chuck it, go for it. And then other people will be like, uh, actually, I think you can control them better. I think we can work on your cork sevens on the trampoline more so that when you do go and try and do it on skis, you don't end up upside down and in a really unsafe place. Like you need to know where you are. So taking all of that feedback and then trying to find a middle ground to figure out if you think that you're at that level and ready to try it and whether you're hyped up enough to do that. So that's kind of what I was doing this season was trying to figure out that line. Do you think that you generally push yourself more or do you hold yourself back more? Ooh, I think, I think lately I've been holding myself back a little bit more than I want. And I think that's come from circle back around to that tomahawk. <laughs> I think some of that, um, I think having some really, really gnarly, really big crashes, um, 
definitely makes you reevaluate the decisions you're making and whether you feel comfortable and feel safe doing things. So that's kind of what, that's my current mental space is trying to figure out, you know, is trying to get back into that really hyped up, really excited, really push myself um, vibe more often because I'm finding I'm, I'm stepping back a little bit more often than I was. So this is one of your winning runs. Yeah. So where is, where I'll pause it really quick. So like, where is this? What are you kind of thinking coming into this? Yeah. So coming into this, I was incredibly nervous. The snow conditions that day were, uh, we were wanting them to soften. So it was kind of, there hadn't been very much snow in Europe and we were essentially running like pretty crusty kind of all, all over the place snow, especially if you were kind of going into the more sunny faces um, they were going to be starting out pretty icy. So my face, the face that I'd chosen, or where I'd chosen to have my run, my line, was yeah, way more out in the sunshine. So I really wanted that to be getting the sun on it. And to and with the two run format that day, it meant that our first run was going to be pretty damn icy. So the girls were the first to drop that day, I believe, the female skiers. And I can't remember what number I dropped in the group, whether I whether I dropped in first or not. But, um, yeah, dropping into that space was pretty hectic. So, I mean, to me, like, looking at it, like, oh, okay, that didn't look that bad, right? But, like, is this much different in real life than it appears even on this? Yeah, right here I'm thinking, fuck, I better make this turn. Excuse my language, but I better better make this turn because this is right at the beginning. Because if you go directly, you stop it there. Oh, just to my right there is a a cliff called Eagle, I think it is. Um, if I fell off the side there, it would have been game over. So I had to make it onto this traverse track. Those first two turns were incredibly important. Now, will everybody take a little bit of a different line? Yep. Yeah, a lot of people choose different lines. Some people choose really similar lines. This right here, I'm going into the Heusel Cliff. And this was opened up, I think, by is it Stefan Heusel. He's a Austrian freeride skier. I think his name's Stefan. Yeah, anyways, real sick skier. Super icy right there. How fast are you going through here? Oh, I wouldn't actually know the speed. But all I know is I'm trying to hang on as much as possible because the snow was super icy. Right here, I get a little bit back seat. You can see there, I just about lose it. My hand comes across the front of me. And there's a lot of like little chunks of avi debris, especially right here, skiing out of this bit here. There's little chunks of avi debris and shit everywhere. So that that there was pretty scary. It doesn't look like there's that much snow. No, you or can see it... old tracks in it. If you look carefully, there's spots where you can see other people's old tracks. The best oh, snow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The best snow. This is really crusty where I'm skiing here. So here I was thinking, just stay on your feet. My legs were really tired at this point. And I was like, I just need to stay on my feet. I need to be careful because it's really crusty snow. And then off this, I definitely did not go fast enough. Kind of landed on that bush. But out here, so the bottom of your run, you're just like, I just have to make it to the bottom. I just, you can't crash now. You can't crash now. You just have to get to the bottom. Oh my God, my legs hurt. My legs hurt. My legs hurt. This is all that's going through my head. It's like, I just need to get to the gates. I just need to get to the gates. My legs are so sore. 
Oh, it's way up there, right? Like this is up above anything else. Yeah, this is, yeah. So we hiked up to this one. This was probably about a 50 minute, 50 minute hike, an hour's hike for me, being slow. So just here out of the starting gate, um, it's really, really sharky underneath the snow. So you're trying to be light on your feet. So I was just thinking, light on my feet, light on my feet. I had no time to prepare for that run. How far down is that first, like, from where here to, like, where you're going to land? How far oh, down would you say that is? You just ski through it. That's actually not a cliff. Oh, it's not? It's so different. It looks so different when you see it. Yeah, it's sort of a cliff, but you can just ski. Oh, I guess I did pop over it. <laughs> it's just little. So here I'm like, oh, oh, where's my entrance? Oh, yep, there it is. Jeez, that was quick. That came up really fast. Okay, go slow. Avoid the rocks. And then turn off here, right here. Yep. Landed, was like, sweet. Okay, one turn. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I'm too low. I'm too low. Just made it to the cliff. I'm going to crash here because I just landed on a tree. I was in the air going, there's no way I'm going to make that. Somehow skied through the tree. And then here I started telling myself, I was like, keep going, keep going. Don't slow down. Be fluid. Be like Ari Chakomi. Be like Ari Chakomi. Don't stop. And hit that cliff. And then at the bottom, I was just like, yeah. But as you come into that shade line, it instantly turns to flat light. Yeah. I didn't realize that was that steep. When they zoom out, you can really see it. Like, all right, I'm watching. It's like, that looks steep. And then they zoom out. You're like, whoa. It's honestly not as steep, I think, as what, is, what it looks. It would be better and maybe in, better in the GoPro. But yeah, just here as you hit the shade line, you I couldn't see anything because it was dead flat. It was like flat light. It was super early in the morning, just after sunrise. So, um. I skied into it being like, I really hope there's nothing that I hit here to blow up my run at the bottom, but I can't see. So the funny, the funny thing about that, um, that day, that winning run in Feberbrunn was, uh-huh. um, cause it was a two run day. I went and did, I, my first run was the winning run. And my second run was that heinous tomahawk. Oh God. Yeah. Some, but if you but you don't know, like you couldn't just back out and be like, no, I think I got this. I'm not going to do this second one. I could have. Um, there's one athlete that did, Andrew Pollard. He came down and was like, he finished his first run. He's like, nope, that's the best I can ski that face. I'm not going and doing it again. And um, the you know, so he decided to stay stay down the bottom, whereas the rest of us decided to go back for round two. And to be honest, like you do one run and you're pretty cooked. So then you go in it's for round two. It's pretty much over. Yeah, like you go in for round two and you need to be – it needs to be reasonably good conditions. It's pretty hectic. So where is this? That's in Canada. Man, that looks steep. That was steep. That was my first time skiing like mini spines. And then Tomahawk. <laughs> oh, what happened? I mean, I, like how – I have a habit of landing too far forward. I'm not very used to landing in powder as much because like we don't really have as much in New Zealand. So – I'm used to landing a little bit, like a little bit more four point on the front, and I just did that there. Landed too far forward, straight over the bars. Now, how did did you try to stop yourself when that happens? Like, is there something you can do to, like, okay, I got to get this under control, or are you just hope and pray? You hope and pray. If you're if you're tomahawking, there's nothing you can do. You just have to let it play out. Did you get hurt in this one? Nah, this one was sweet. Now, looking back on it, would you say that this is the kind of thing like, oh, you know what? Looking back on it, maybe this was too much for me. Mm, no, I think it. I think it was definitely pushing my boundaries. It was learning. It was learning for sure. I think it was a good face to learn on. 
um, on my first run, I actually posted up in one spot and stopped for a little bit. And I, I did land that cliff once on the second, on that, on that time I didn't though, but I did ski it and land it. I just skied it slower and didn't make it look as good. That's in the Canadian Rockies? Uh, yeah. So that's up, uh, up near Golden and we we're just filming. We we're doing some filming last season for the head, uh, the head movie and for blank as well. So it was kind of like dual footage. That was just like a really fun cruisy line down the face. It was really pretty and nice in the sunshine. This looks like really good conditions. Yeah. This was actually crashed at the end there. <laughs> um, that was super, super nice snow. We got really lucky with this trip. So Golden hadn't had a lot of snow. That was actually the same same trip in Golden. So this is some of the more like pillow skiing, pillow skiing stuff. Um, but yeah, that like the whole season they hadn't had a lot of snow. There was really sketchy avi conditions. They had lots and lots of um, faceting, which was super dangerous. And um, this was at the end of the, like near the near the end of the season when things had started to like mellow out in the snowpack. And um, we got like this really lucky ten centimeters of snow like each day. We'd ski in the morning, and then in the afternoon it would like afternoon evening it would snow like 10 15 centimeters and then so after a few days like these pillows were on and it was so fun that's pretty much all the questions i got is there anything that you think we missed or what's kind of coming up next for you how can people get a hold of you um so for the next little bit i'm heading back over to canada to hopefully do some more filming um previously i've been working with blank collective and we've uh created a couple ski movies so go check those out if you get the chance um, and also the head, uh, head free skiing unified movies pretty sick this year. Um, we really like head released their first, uh, team movie this year. So it's super, super sick. Um, yeah. So hopefully just heading back over to Canada, doing some more filming. Um, I'll jump back into the qualifier competitions at the end of the season and just be generally getting after it. But, um, and if you want to check anything out, just check out like the free ride world tours website and pages, um, the free ride world qualifiers um and my personal instagram is just how to ski i want to thank jess so much for joining us if you want to connect with her we have linked to her on our social media accounts we're profoundly pointless on tiktok instagram and youtube and we've also included her information in the episode description if you want to see more of some of the skiing that we talked about the YouTube version of this interview will be live on December 14th at 12.30 p.m. Pacific. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Do you prefer a buffet or a food court? I think my my answer has changed as I've gotten older. Mm. In my younger days, it would have been a buffet. As much as I can eat, just keep dishing it out like... Now with a food court, I feel I feel that would be my answer now because what's the old adage? Uh, it was quantity over quality when I was younger. As I get older, it's quality over quantity now. I actually completely agree with that. I really thought that you were going to say buffet overall, and I would have gone buffet 
probably all throughout my 20s and maybe my early part of my 30s. But now I would say food court. I appreciate a food court much more because you can still get various different things, but you don't have to go in like all in. The only problem with either of those things is uh, the pandemic kind of killed off most most good food courts in my area. It's harder to find a good buffet than it was a couple of years ago. I would also say that my cha- now my, the only exception that I would make is sushi buffet. If there's sushi buffet, that's no question in my mind. Like I'm going for that. That's the most money I'm willing to spend on a buffet is for sushi buffet. Anything else, I'm not spending over fifteen dollars. I'm quite impressed that you eat sushi. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Okay. I'm. I don't even know. I'm. 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 I'm flabbergasted by that with your childish eating habits. But sushi is amazing. So. Yeah, dude. I don't understand. I feel like you're taking a shot at me there. I don't really much appreciate it. I mean, well, if anyone views the video of this, I look like a seven-year-old little boy who just came in from playing outside in the snow, so. Why would you need to wear a hat like that inside? I have never understood why you would need to wear that inside. I mean, I I don't need to wear it inside. I'm wearing it for this recording because I want to, and I'm, you know, it's a a statement piece, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. Detroit Lions, baby. Super Bowl winners, let's go. Have they ever won a Super Bowl? Have never even been to the Super Bowl. Okay, so probably shouldn't say Super Bowl winners. Uh, yeah, oh, I have results of our. Oh, I have the results. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, yeah, sixty three. Sixty three percent of people said they prefer a buffet over a food court. I would imagine that that is a younger audience. I do think that the older audience would go food court over buffet. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would definitely agree with your assessment of our demographic there. I, but then again, you stick me in a buffet setting and I'm hungry. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I would rather have a really crappy buffet than a really good dinner. Yes. I would rather have a crappy buffet option for $15 or more than a nice meal. Uh, All right. uh, Shout outs here to the people that matter, not you and I. Uh, James Scott, Vince Leary, Ed Russell, uh, Kalen Midwood, (laughs) Yuri Mendoza. Sam Maiko, and that's a Maiko, not Michael. I have to make sure I say that. Jorge Sanz, uh, Connie Rabani. <laughs> Connie Rabani. <laughs> She's actually a fantastic person, uh, but her name does happen to rhyme. So, I mean, it is. That's got to be tough when you have a name that rhymes. Like, you would think that, like, my name would be one that people wouldn't mess up, but it always gets messed up. And there's a little bit of a rhyme, like John Scholl. John Scholl. Like, your name's kind of screwy, too, because I think a lot of people say Vinzint or Vinzunt. Do you get a lot of Vanzants? I get a lot of Vanzants. My name is V-I-N-Z-A-N-T, but I think that there were some famous people who were Vanzants, and so everybody just corrects it to that. Because your brain just goes to the category. It automatically just, just groups everything into the category. And if it's in that category, you're one of them. And by one of them, you mean people whose names rhyme? No, people like if, okay, I know that. Like once I think that somebody, once your brain is able to put something in a category, it's going to just put it in there regardless of where it is. So even though my name is Vinzant, it gets put in the Vanzant category. Okay, yeah. All right, Vin Vanzant. See, that's how it goes. Just I actually have you, I have you in my phone still as Vanzant, believe it or not. Is it still misspelled? Uh, probably, yes. 
He's not going to change it. Uh, all I right, let's do end stuff like that. If you enter somebody's phone number into your account contacts, do you put the one in front of their area code? I do not know. I do. I put the one in front of the area code. It has to start like one, blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah, I, I I don't just because I mean what's what's the point? I also can have a you, house phone, so. Can you, you do have a landline, which is ridiculous. Can you give me the cadence that you use when saying your phone number? Give me the cadence. So I go like, sure. 321-407-2526. What is your phone number cadence? Uh, 249-557-4673. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That's a, that's kind of the same, but a little bit different. I think people have different phone number cadences. Okay. Anyway, I actually think it's kind of interesting. To believe it or not, I would. Uh, yeah. I don't. Anyways, let's end this. Uh, Bill Crichton, Marion Varga, and Samuel Bias. Appreciate. Okay. I like a Yuri. I like a Yuri. Never had a problem right. with a Yuri. Never had a problem yeah. with a Yuri. All right. Well, uh, so these bangers here came from an inebriated uh, afternoon couple days ago so we'll see how okay, these okay. go uh who is the more overrated actor playing a christmas personality it'll make sense once i get to him here uh will ferrell as elf jim carrey as the grinch or chevy chase out of national lampoon's christmas vacation national i mean chevy chase made his own character so i think that he gets a pass in that regard jim carrey is perfect for the grinch and I've just never really liked Will Ferrell. I don't really like any Christmas movies. I could care less about any Christmas movies. I don't care about Christmas movies. I don't want to see Christmas movies. I don't like Christmas movies. I think it's what you do when you don't like, ugh. It's, it's, it's pandering to me. I don't like it. I, I don't mean, like it because they're not good. They're just like, oh, put Christmas in it, and then we'll make it crappy, and everyone will be like, well, it's Christmas. I feel like you could say that for any seasonal uh, movie. Uh, I mean, there are some, uh, you know, uh, as I'm trying to think, like It's a Wonderful Life is good, has a good message. I, I think to me, it's like anything. It's after the originals have been made and then everyone else tries to piggyback off of that by, oh, let's have It's a Wonderful Life Part 2. Like, you can't mm. do that. Or It's a Christmas Story. It's a Christmas Story Story or something. Like, come on, man. All right, well, we can choose to have fun with this one, or you can shut it down. I feel like you're going to shut it down, but we'll try it anyways. Uh, you have to kill one, marry one, and be in a relationship only with one. Obviously, that okay. excludes uh, an elf, Santa Claus, or a reindeer. Well, I mean, I'm going to kill the reindeer, because otherwise <laughs> it's going to get real weird real fast. So, yeah, kill the reindeer. I mean, you're going to dip into the elf, right? Like, why not try it, right? Like, it's you have a couple in you. It's probably like some kind of thing. You just venture down that road and never talk about it again. So you marry Santa Claus, probably a very pleasant, pleasant person. What are you going to do? Uh, I, I had it in my mind that I was probably going to uh, kill off Santa. Because he can't be that happy and jolly. Um, I would probably marry the reindeer because let's just get out of the way and then I don't have to worry about you talking anymore. I don't have to, you know, I can, we'll just feed you and you'll just stay out in the yard like I can live in the house. You're going to have sex with a reindeer. No, <laughs> we'll get it out of the way. That's not, let's not, let's not, uh, you know, let's not yeah. go, let's not make it creepy here. I'm, I'm, you know, let's just 
it's well, about let's, there's no let let there's no us in making it creepy. That was just you. You didn't think this through at all. Like, why wouldn't you just kill the reindeer? <laughs> because the other two are, they talk, right? Like, they're, like, they have to live with you. The reindeer, who I would prefer, you know, just because I marry the reindeer doesn't have to mean that we have, you know, do anything. Um, you would have to explain to people why you're married to a reindeer. And I think my reasoning would be fine. Like, it doesn't talk. It sits out in the yard. I don't have to worry about, you know, yelling at me, complaining. I don't have to cook at dinner. I mean, I kind of understand, but, like, no. <laughs> I'm not. I get it. I get what you were trying to go for, right? Like, I get it. But, yeah, it's just kill the reindeer. That's much easier. <laughs> I mean, if, if if I have to, you know, get on with, with one of these creatures, then obviously you kill the reindeer. I have a one-off with Santa, and I marry the elf. We never did specify if it was a female elf or a male elf. I mean, listen, <laughs> I don't, I didn't either. Um, I guess Is either a, or, I suppose. No, I, I think that you marry Santa. I mean, you're not going to be that nice and have a, that many other problems. <laughs> yeah, dude, just marry Santa. You just, okay? That. That seemed a lot better, like when I was discussing it after a few beers. Maybe, maybe it is a still a fun question. I don't know. I have always been fascinated by the idea that, like, it really just depends on whenever you ask someone a question or ask a group a question. It just completely depends whether that's a work setting, a personal setting, how the first person answers it. Whichever way that that person goes sets the standard of your question was stupid or good. And you could ask the same question in a different setting, and it's brilliant. You ask it in this setting, and some the first person goes negative with it, and you're doomed. Yeah. Uh, or it's like the lemming effect. One person answers it one way, and then everyone, oh, yeah, well, I'll right. do that, that, and that. Like It's like we talked about earlier. What well, Now it's in the category. Once it's put in a category, now it's in the category. It's, you know, it's, yeah, it's. Anyways, I'm still thinking but about really, yeah. You, why you wouldn't? Why you're marrying reindeer? Okay, whatever, dude. Live your life. <laughs> Let me live my life. All right. Uh, have a I have a question. More, it's more of a question to ask you. I think I know the okay. answer, but I, I want to get your opinion on it. Uh, say you haven't put up Christmas lights, and it's two weeks before Christmas. Is that is it? Is it? Uh, should you have the mentality of it's never too late? Or should you just scrap it and uh, go on to next year? It's it's never too late unless it is within one week of Christmas. If it's within one week of Christmas and you haven't done it and there hasn't been some kind of extemporaneous reason like you lost a family member or you got stuck in Antarctica or something like that, I think you can go ahead and put them up. But if it's within one week of Christmas, then there's no reason. You just have to keep them down. Like, you messed up, right? You can't show up to the game in the fourth quarter without warming up and think you're going to get to play. You just just skip the whole game, right? Don't show up at work at 445 and be like, I'm here. (laughs) When you clock out at 5. Right. Stay home. Yep, I agree. You shitbirds. All right. um, That's it, man. Let's move on. That's it? Okay, so our top five is top five mall stores. And these are the most iconic stores. Like, you remember these stores at the mall specifically, right? You you think about the mall, you think about these kinds of places. What's your number five? So uh, there was surprisingly was a ton 
There's a lot of, when you think of, about it. Of stores that start off as mall exclusive and then they try branching out. Usually most of these places that I'm going to talk about weren't very successful outside of malls uh, and had to go back in. But regardless, uh, we'll start obviously with my number five, which is Lids. My number five is also Lids. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's out of all I, of the options, we have the same number five, which is a little usually that doesn't happen. No, not usually on the fifth one, but I think lids is number five because you're either gonna you're gonna at least look in there, or go, every guy is either gonna look in or go into lids, even if he has no interest in buying a hat. You're gonna look at it at least, and it's always the most crampiest small store. It's just. It's not a very well put together store. However, no um, organization is terrible. But yeah, you, you got to walk in there at least. You know, if you're walking by, like you said, as a man, you have to just check in. You have to duck in real fast. What's your number four. Uh, so this one is just based upon its iconicness. Um, I, I don't. I, it's not a store that I would go to. But however, uh, Build a Bear workshops. I thought about Build a Bear. I thought about Build a Bear. I think Build a Bear is probably actually keeping malls alive in some places. <laughs> I mean, I've been there. I think one of my siblings ha- ha- went there and gotten a bear. It's, you know, I'm sure everyone has gone there or been near one at least once in their life. How are you going to be okay with marrying a reindeer and embarrassed to go to Build a Bear? I mean, once again, I feel like my reasoning for marrying the reindeer out of the other two options was sound. <laughs> um, you I know, love those things. It like made sense, and then until somebody brought up one point, and then you're like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> I mean, I wasn't thinking sexually. Like, if we're, you know, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be a no, sexual okay. relationship. What's your what number you four? My number four is a tie between J.C. Penney's and Macy's because that was the only reason that you were going to the mall as a little kid was because mom had to go to either J.C. Penney's and if you were classier, if you were having a classy day, like no, we got to get you done something for pictures, then you were going to Macy's. <laughs> so those stores always stand out in my mind: J.C. Penney and Macy's. I'm gonna come back to that to those actually. Oh, higher, kind of, higher on the list. Yeah. Okay, okay. Kind of interesting that you have. Uh, huh. All right. Uh, my number three is is a tie, actually. My one of two ties on my list. Uh, this is Spencer's and Hot Topic. Ah, oh, I have those higher on the list. Okay. Yeah, I have I, those higher on the list. I mean, I, 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 Spencer's was great for gag gifts. They always had like the weird stuff. Hot Topic is Hot Topic. Um, yeah, they're once again. I I feel like a Hot Topic is more iconic than Spencer's. But I had to I had to group them in kind of as one store. Okay. My number three is the massage kiosk at the mall. Because I'm always wondering, like, who the hell is getting a ten minute massage from some <laughs> random person in the middle of a mall? Oh, I didn't even I've been you know, fascinated by that. I thought about putting that in like the, the like the ear uh piercing uh stall. Oh the kiosk, kiosk. yeah. But I was like, those aren't really. I guess they are shops because it's a you know they make money. But I didn't yeah. put them on. I could also do like the phone case one where they have like fifteen thousand different kinds of phone cases, you know, and they're all like somehow yeah. they're all crap. Uh, my number two, the Hallmark store. Okay, I can see it. I can see it. That was a store that like you had to go to. Like, oh, I gotta go to Hallmark with mom. Yeah, we gotta oh. go. 
a $8 card in the 90s, which was expensive, uh, for Grandma, who's not going to even give a shit. And she can't even read it anymore. But you had to go. Yeah, yeah, you had to go, man. I've oh, The Hallmark star. Anyways, what's your number two? I thought about putting this at number one for a long time, but my number two is Sabaro's Pizza. See, once uh, I, I, I left off like food court stuff because to me... Like they, those aren't stores within the actual mall, but they are stores. But whatever, good, good choice. Sabaro is. I mean, it's the pizza. It's the mall pizza chain. That's what it is. It is it. I think it's easily the most iconic food place in the mall. Is Sparrow's Pizza? That and I, I think Panda Express. Before that, like they're close for me. Panda Express and Sabaro in the mall. The only one that I would put, I wouldn't put. Well, Panda Express. Maybe you went to a nicer mall than I did. But I would go Sparrow's Pizza, and then I would go like Wetzel's Pretzels, or the whatever kind of pretzel store was there. That was the only place in the world you could get pretzels was a mall. Yes, man. We, I, I wanted to put this on my list. It's funny you say that. I didn't because I thought it was hyper-local. Uh, but we had a place at, a mall, at the mall I went to as a child called the Pretzel Peddler. And, man, you would pay like four bucks and get like little dunkers and all this cheese. and It's, it's good times. That was the only place you could get. A pretzel. Baseball game or the mall? What's another one? I would say Jamba Juice. Well, there's always like some kind of smoothie place before they got really popular. Yeah. Orange, uh, man, there was one. Orange Crush or something. Yeah, there's always one. Orange Orange Julius. Julius. Yes, Orange Julius. Orange Julius. Yeah. yeah, I I can still remember the location of the Sabaro's Pizza at the mall we used to go to. Remember exactly where is that those big ass pizzas? Okay, what's your what's your uh, what's your number one? I mean, I kind of alluded to it. It's I mean, it has to be J C Penney's and uh, Macy's. I mean, I remember going to the mall like you'd start in the middle and then you go hit one at the one end and then you have to walk all the way to the other end to go to the other store and you had to hit both. You had to. Did they have? But, a, did you ever have a mall with a Sears too? Did you have to go to Sears oh, as yeah. well? Yeah, Sears for sure, but. The Sears is there. The, I feel like they're thriving now. Sears came back for whatever reason, and I feel okay. like Macy's and J.C. Penney are kind of you know, yeah. But uh, mm. I guess you, I guess you could really couple all three in as one. Um, I did want to. I, I felt I actually put an asterisk here. If we were doing like home based, you know, like personal number ones, and not trying to be one hundred, you know, a hundred percent real about this, I would have put Stephen Barry's as my number one. But, I don't even know what that is. It was the place where you could go get like uh, $5 graphic t-shirts, like Michigan State t-shirts. And all they, all they were were green and white. And they just said Michigan State. Like, that's it. Or like, you know. Oh, they're just cheap, cheap t-shirts. There was always like the weird sporting goods store that was in the mall. That was like they kind of had nothing, but they had everything at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, di- like Dick's, I think. Uh, Dick's. Sporting goods, I believe, started in malls, but whatever. I just will never understand. I will never understand naming your store after body parts. I mean, it still makes me laugh because I'm a child. Uh, but, you know, we, we would say, hey, we're going to Dick's to get some balls. Like, like come <laughs> on, man. You know, or something stupid. When I was in Orlando, there was a store called BJ's. And I always thought that my business plan, if I was ever like a regional manager, would have put all the BJs next to Dicks. <laughs> just you wouldn't. People would go there just to laugh. 
Like, yeah, why are not. you coming here? Well, we're going to go to that place and get my store picture taken. And, well, I guess we'll go buy something, too. I think that's a marketing plan. My number one is Hot Topic. I think Hot Topic is the quintessential mall store because you're either going to go in there and see something or you're going to go in there and see someone. Like, it's entertaining. It's the most <laughs> entertaining mall store is Hot Topic. Yeah, but by far. That and Spencer's, obviously. And yeah, those are like quintessential ones, right? And something on my honorable mention, I think, is up there, too, and that's GameStop. I have GameStop on my honorable mention. What else do you have on your honorable mention? Let me, let me open my list here. Uh, yeah, so FYE. Oh, yeah, yeah, store, for your entertainment. For your which entertainment. would be like, hey, I'm going to get a DVD that costs $5 at Walmart, but it's $18 there. Right, I, right. I it was like all crap. Don't know how they've stayed in, in business, if even if they are in business. Uh, famous Footwear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Foot Locker. Foot Locker could make Foot Locker is an oversight. That probably could have made a run way up at the top. And then this one, uh, a personal one again. But I remember many Christmas Eves, my father trying to figure out something creative for my mother for Christmas. So we would go to Things Remembered. Mm, like a I'm sentimental gonna, thing. I'm going to get some crap, but try to pull it off like I care. I'm going to pay yeah. $40 to have you and your sister's name edged into a cup and give it to your mother. <laughs> I don't want any of that crap. <laughs> I don't either. I don't even. Uh, yeah, no. I would rather get nothing than get something like that. If I had a choice between do you want like world's greatest dad coffee mug or nothing, I'd be like, well, nothing, because at least I don't have to wash the cup or find a reason to keep it. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, right? I mean, if uh, I'll take it if it's from the heart, but if, you know, if I know you went out eight hours before Christmas morning and bought it, I mean. Yeah, that doesn't count, right? Um, I have Build-A-Bear in my honorable mention. I have GameStop. Uh, the Buckle, I think, could make a strong run. Yeah. I just always hated that store because you couldn't get within, you could not get more than three feet into that store before somebody talked to you. The Buckle, yeah, I mean. I, I I had a few written down, but like the Buckle Gap, Aeropostale. Like, oh yeah, but you know I don't know. Those are iconic. Didn't. Yeah, yeah, because they existed other places. You knew that you could like get those someplace else. Yeah, uh, sure. that's all I got. That's it. Ho ho ho. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a quick review. We really appreciate it. It really does help out the show. And let us know what you think are some of the best mall stores. There's a lot when you get to thinking about it. I think Hot Topic is still kind of the iconic one, but... Let us know what you think, man. There's definitely some other ones that can make a run for it. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.